Well, I want to begin this morning with a quote from an author whose name is Anne Rice. Uh, Anne Rice is a famous author. She, uh, she uh, writes in the, the uh, genre of gothic vampire novels, so I don't know if some of you are into that. Um, she wrote uh, Interview with the Vampire, The Vampire Diaries. Uh, the thing about Anne Rice is about 15 years ago, she became a Christian. And so uh, she went um, from, you know, writing these steamy vampire novels to writing Christian theme novels. And uh, she was, uh, really wrote a good one uh, called Christ Our Lord Out of Egypt. About five years ago, Anne Rice decided to leave her faith. And she wrote about it on Facebook. And here's what she said. She said, for those who care, and I understand if you don't, today I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being quote-unquote Christian or to being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. For 10 years I've tried, I've failed, I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing less. Now, the thing that strikes me about this quote from Anne Rice is that she's, she still wants to follow Jesus. She still wants to know Jesus. The thing is, she, she no longer wants anything to do with his people. Give me Jesus. Hold the church, please. Um, I want a relationship with Jesus, but please don't make me hang out with his people. Now, the thing about it is, if you know anything about Scripture or anything about Jesus, God will not allow Anne Rice to do this. Uh, Jesus says, you know, following me is a package deal. If you get me, you get my people too. Kind of like getting married. You get your spouse, you get the in-laws automatically, like it or not. To be a Christian means that you have a whole new family to be a part of. I had an old professor in seminary uh, named Scott Barchi, and he said, the God of the Bible is a community-forming God. That is, he is not content to have individual relationships with people around the world. He is about building a community. He's about bringing people together. And to move towards this God is to simultaneously move towards others. And to move away from this God is to move away from community. God is about building relationships together. And the community that God is creating is a community marked by love. The chief mark of the community that God is building, the relationships that he wants to be formed here, are relationships of love. The key is love. Now, if you've been with us, uh, we're in the book of 1 John, and John is talking about knowing God. That's his theme. He says, I want you to know God, and I want you to know that you know God. And what John does is he gives a great test in this letter. He says, I want to test you. He says, how do you know if you know God? How do you know if you're growing in God? How do you know if you're getting closer to God? And John says, the way to know if you're growing is through loving. John connects knowing and loving, growing and loving. He says that a person who truly knows God is going to love their brother or sister he says, if, you are, if you're moving in the direction of knowing God, you're going to be moving in a direction of loving other people. Now, that raises a question, though. Uh, what does it mean to love? What does it look like to love? How do I know that I'm growing in love? If, if to know God means that I'm learning to love my brothers and sisters, what does love even look like? Uh, could you give me a picture? Can you show me what love looks like? Can you show me what the opposite of that might look like? Well, that's exactly what John does in, his, uh, in chapter 3 here this morning. John is going to give us a vivid picture of the opposite of love, and then he's going to give a vivid picture of the essence of love. 
And then he's going to show us how we can have the power to love. Be a good outline for a sermon, don't you think? So John, give us a vivid picture of the opposite of love, what love does not look like. Don't go in this direction. And then he gives us a vivid picture of the essence of love, the direction we need to be going in. And then finally, he tells us how we can have the power to go in the right direction. And so first, uh, let's look at the, the opposite of love. So John says in verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. John says, this is the message. This is the core of the message. Agape, love. We need to learn how to love one another for Christian. Verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who is of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? <clears throat> him because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John gives us a vivid picture of the direction not to go in. And he uses as an example a man by the name of Cain. Now, this is the only time in John's letter where he mentions an Old Testament person, an Old Testament figure. And uh, so it's really important that we know uh, who Cain is because Cain is uh, what, what John wants us not to do. And you say, well, I see it says here that Cain murdered his brother, um, and that's what I'm not supposed to do? Um, I think I haven't done that, right? Check. If that's all I have to do not to love is to stay away from murder, well, I've never murdered anybody in this church, and so I'm good, right? What John wants us to do is look underneath the surface. He wants us to know why Cain murdered his brother. Right? We're, it's, we're tempted to think that Cain was maybe a bad seed, uh, you know, as they say, just kind of a bad apple. But John wants us to see that the seed that was in Cain is in all of us. All of us have the potential to do what Cain did here, to walk down this path. John doesn't want us to do that. And so let's go back and, and we'll look at, we'll, look, we'll walk around the story of Cain for just a little bit here to see the opposite of love. It's in Genesis chapter four. So if you want to turn back there, you can. The verses are going to come up on the screen. But Cain, uh, he is the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. So you think you've got pressure. Uh, Ad, you know, Cain was the firstborn, period. Right? The firstborn in all of the world. And so this is, this is uh, Cain, firstborn before Abel, born to uh, Adam and Eve. This is who he is. And the, the mother, uh, Eve, greets the birth of her firstborn son with a proud and joyous exclamation. So if you look at verse 1, chapter 4 in Genesis, she says this, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She memorializes her exuberance in the name of her son. She calls her, her son Cain. Now Cain, it means uh, to bring forth or to produce so she has high expectations for this firstborn son. She expects him to produce, to be successful. And Cain does. Cain is successful. He gets the family business. And you could almost picture Cain as the favorite child, the golden child, the firstborn son. All their hopes are resting on, on, on Cain here. Now their secondborn uh, son was announced, uh, was just kind of a, a matter of course, as it often is. I'm a second-born son here. And his birth is announced without fanfare. Verse 2 says, and again, she bore his brother Abel. 
She gives his name, she gives him a name that marks him off as inferior to his brother Cain. So Abel means breath or vapor or worthlessness. And so from the beginning, Cain is the favorite child. He's the one that uh, is all the expectation, all the hopes of his parents are resting on him. Uh, he's, he's a somebody as far as this family goes. And Abel is not so much a somebody. Now, uh, we, we don't often think about this, but what would it have been like to be able to grow up with Cain? You know, his parents probably saying, why can't you be more like your brother? You know, look how strong he is. Look how successful he is. Can't, why can't you be more like Cain, Abel? And maybe that's how you grew up. Maybe you ex- have experienced something like that. Growing up under the shadow of his older successful brother, But we do know in the story that at some point in their life, the roles were reversed. And it's it's the point in his life where they come to God and they offer God a sacrifice. Uh, Cain offers a sacrifice of the fruit of the ground. Remember, he's a tiller of the ground. He's a gardener. He offers God fruit or vegetables, something from his garden. Abel, on the other hand, offers to God the first fruits of his flock. Abel was 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 a shepherd. And what it says here is that God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he rejected Cain's. And at this point, we see that Cain begins to hate his brother. He begins to move down a path. Now, when we think about hate, we often think about, you know, you know think about someone you might hate, you know, if, there, if you could name that in your own life. Somebody maybe who's hurt you or wounded you. Somebody who's mean, cruel, evil. Somebody who maybe abused you. You know, you might hate somebody evil. But notice that Cain's, Cain, why does Cain hate Abel? He doesn't hate Abel because Abel is bad. He hates Abel because he's good. In other words, Cain's hatred begins with resentment. I think we could all understand that. Notice John wants us to see that. He, he asks the question, why does Cain hate his brother? Why did he murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. The most insidious form of hate begins with resentment. In the Bible, the most murderous acts always begin with resentment. So you remember later on in Genesis, there's Joseph, the coat of many colors. His brothers wanted to kill him. Why? Not because he was bad, but because he was the favorite. Uh, Later on in 1 Samuel, there's a story of King Saul. King Saul hated the young Uh, King David. And why did he hate David? Was it because David was evil? No, it's because people loved David. David has slain his ten thousands, thousands and Saul only his thousands. And so hatred, this sort of hatred, this kind of move away from community always begins with resentment. I wonder if you've ever felt this. Have you ever disliked somebody not because they were bad, but because they were better than you? Think about Cain. Cain had, had beaten his brother, always beaten his brother at everything. He'd beat him, beat, beat him at ping pong and football and then the family business. And now little brother has finally beaten him at something and Cain can't stand it. Who, who can you not stand? Maybe, it's, maybe you've been trying to have a baby for a long time and you've been trying and trying and trying and, it's, and, and this is just a part of your life. You've got a best friend. As soon as she gets off the pill, bang, she's pregnant. And there's something in you that just can't find it. You find it really hard to be around her. Or maybe, you know, at work you've got a best friend. He gets a promotion and you get a demotion. Suddenly you no longer want to sit next to him in the lunchroom. 
Maybe you've been struggling to make a lot of money. And maybe a friend of yours just struck the jackpot. And now it's really difficult for you to be around them. You see, what John wants us to see that is that res- hatred always is, begins with resentment. At least the deepest form of hatred. You hate somebody not because they're bad, but because they're better than you. And notice this hatred comes out of a threatened identity. And so you look at, uh, you look at uh, Cain here. Cain it resents Abel because Abel threatens his identity. Uh, Cain has always constructed his identity in comparison to Abel. Who, Cain said, who am I? Who am I? I'm the, I'm the older brother. Who am I? I'm better than Abel. I'm the smart one. I'm the strong one. I'm the successful one. Cain has always constructed his identity in comparison with his little brother. And now his little brother has beat him, and it's threatening his very self. And you think about your own life. A lot of times we have false identities, identities that are constructed in comparison to others. I'm the best teacher at this school. I'm the wealthiest person in this room. I'm the, the most successful coach in the league. I'm the, I'm, I'm the most educated person here. And so often, who are we? We construct our identity on our achievements. We construct our identities in comparison to others, and when others happen to eclipse us, that often leads to resentment. John says, do you want to know what hate looks like? Do you want to know where murder begins? Well, it's this resentment that maybe comes from a threatened identity. There are so many movies about this, but uh, one of them is, uh, you know, the movie uh, Amadeus, uh, you remember there's Antonio Salieri, who is a really great composer in his own right. Very gifted. Uh, very, very good at what he does. Very proud of what he does. In fact, he begins to construct his identity on the fact that he's a great musician. And then a young boy named Wolfgang comes into town. And he's not just good, he's a musical genius. And Salieri hates him. Why? It's because Mozart, just by being Mozart, is threatening his identity. And so often people can be hated by us and we resent them not because they're bad but because they threaten who we are. Notice it moves on and and, and this threatened identity uh, moves Cain to exclude Abel. This is the path that he's moving down. It, It leads to exclusion. He excludes Abel from his life. He says, listen, if, if God says that Abel is this, then that means that I am not who I think I am. And I will not change my opinion about who I am. And so that means that Abel must go away. He's got to be gone. I need to get rid of him. And so Cain kills Abel. He eliminates Abel from his life. His, the pathway ends in exclusion. Now, there's a lot of ways you can do this. Uh, you may not murder anybody. Uh, you know, your resentment and threatened identity may not ever cause you to hurt somebody physically, but you can assassinate somebody's character through gossip, right? You're so resentful that you're going to tell everybody that you know that that person doesn't deserve it. I know who they are. You could exclude them from your group. You can say, you know what? They're just not going to be a part of my club anymore. I'm going to shut them out. I'm not going to put them on my email list anymore. They're not going to be on the text thread. I'm going to shut them out. They're going to be out of my, my clique or my group. They're dead to me. Right? There's a lot of manifestations of resentment. Notice finally it ends in death. Uh, Cain eventually ends 
the life of his brother, but, but notice Cain's life is almost over as well. He murders his brother, and he flees. He, he goes off into the land of Nod. Now, the, the land of Nod, what does Nod mean? Well, Nod, Nod means wandering or exile. Resentment, threatened identity, exclusion leads to exile. You know, any time you walk down this path, it always ends in death. It always ends in alienation. It always ends in you being alone. You may not physically murder anybody, but notice John said, why did Cain murder his brother? What was underneath that? What, what was the path that he was going down? Well, it's a path that so many of us are going down. And I'm telling you, it ends in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has life abiding in, in him. So there's the opposite of love. There's the vivid picture. There's the path that, that Cain was going down. But let's turn the corner and let's ask, what is the opposite of this? That's what John doesn't want us to do. He says, don't go the way of Cain. Well, what, sh- what way should we go in? What direction, what path should we be on? Well, he, now he's going to show us the, the way of Christ or the way of love in verse Uh, 16, he says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Notice what John does here is he's giving us a vivid picture of another direction. It's a picture of love. How do we know what love looks like? We know what hate looks like. It looks like it's different. It's not just murder. It's resentment and threatened identity and exclusion. Well, what does it look like to love? What is the opposite of that? Well, he says, you need to look no further than the death of Jesus Christ. In this we know love. Here's the path of love. Here's the way of love. That he, meaning Jesus, verse 16, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The death of Jesus Christ is not only your redemption and your salvation, it's also your example. In the death of Jesus Christ, we learn what it looks like to love. We get a vivid picture of that. And what does it look like? John said, love is laying your life for your brothers. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we need to lay our lives down for the brothers. Notice how different this was than Cain. Cain's life was marked by self-preservation, Self-promotion, concern for self. Saint, uh, Saint um, Cain kill, killed literally out of self-defense. He was protecting his false identity. What's the way of love? It is laying down yourself for the sake of other people. It's letting yourself go. It's pouring yourself out for the sake of others. For Cain, his priority was him. His life was all about him. He was so worried about him and what people thought about him, and and who he was. But Jesus was not concerned about himself at all. He laid down himself for the sake of others. He let himself go, and he poured himself out. This is what love looks like. In other words, the way of Cain is marked by your life for mine. Your life for mine. If you threaten me, your life is gone. Jesus, his way is marked by my life for yours. I lay my life down for you. It's a fundamentally different attitude towards the self. Uh, Yesterday, or I'm sorry, Friday, I was driving to Mountain View with my in-laws, 
and uh, we, we were driving there to go to the creek, and my father-in-law was in the passenger seat, and we were reading First John. We were reading this passage. He wanted to know what I was preaching on, and so we're, we were reading it together and discussing what it looks like to love, and we were talking about how the way of Jesus is just a way of almost self-denial and, and pouring yourself out where others are the priority, where others are lifted above yourself. And just as we entered Mountain View, we kind of went up the corner there, and there was a big billboard on the, the left-hand side of the road. Maybe some of you have seen it. Mortgage company or a bank. In little letters, it says, our priority. And then in huge letters, it says, is you. Our priority is you. Now, why would anybody put out an ad like that? It's because they know what all of our priority is. Our priority is us. We are so concerned about us, always thinking about us, how to promote ourselves and protect ourselves and get rid of people that threaten our identity. And Jesus says, let me show you another way. It's the way of laying yourself down. The priority is no longer you. The priority is other people. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Verse 17. But if anyone has this world's good and goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. So this pathway begins by making the priority something outside of yourself, laying your life down for other people. And notice John says the way you display this is through tangible action. Let us not love in word only, but in deed and in truth. John says there's always a test with this. There's always an opportunity for you to show that you love somebody. You see, all of us can say, oh yeah, I love somebody, right? When your life is going great and everything's fine. Oh, I'm so loving. I feel so loving towards everybody right now. But John says love is not just a word, it's an action. And all of us have moments of testing. We all have opportune moments where we get to show love for others, where we get to lay our lives down for other people. There's always an opportunity. Here he says, you know, you're walking down the street and you see somebody in need and that person's need doesn't threaten you. That need for you is an opportunity to show love. Yesterday we were at uh, uh, Freddy's and we were getting custard chocolate. Really good, by the way. She'd have that. And, and, and right outside of Freddy's there was a, a man who was asking for food. Cardboard sign and uh, I just, I walked right past him, and I got in the car, and one of my kids said, Dad, what, how come we didn't give him money? You see, he was noticing that that was an opportunity for me. Now, I know there's questions, maybe, did he have a job, and why didn't he have a job, and all that stuff, but, but you see, there's opportunities every day for you to lay yourself down for others. Maybe when you see people in need, or maybe the opportunity is when somebody, you're confronted with somebody, not who's in need, but someone who does better than you. You're trying to have a baby. Your friend has a baby. Well, that's an opportunity right there. Are you going to love them or not? Your friend gets the promotion and you get the demotion. There's an opportunity. Will you love or won't you love in that moment? Are you going to lay your life down or are you going to hold it and feel threatened? You know, you, you, you lose that job and, and somebody else gets it. Well, there's an opportunity for you to love. John says there are always opportunity. Love is a test. We can all say that we love, but in that moment, that Cain and Abel moment, when little brother's sacrifice is accepted, well, that's your moment to lay your life down for the brethren. What might it look like if Cain loved Abel instead of hating him? 
What if Cain took that moment to, lo- to lay his life down for, the bro- for his own brother? What would that have looked like? Maybe, you know, he goes to Cain and says, you know, Cain, man, I am sorry. I know I've, I'm the favorite child. I know that, and I know that all my life I've been preferred. I don't know what, what it would have been like to be you. Gosh, I see now that you, man, I am so sorry. What if he took that moment to lay his life down for his brother like that? Or what if he came to him and said, congratulations, little brother. Yours was accepted. Yeah, I know mine wasn't accepted, but man, you, you finally did something right. Mom and dad are gonna be so proud. And what if he took that moment to lay his life down, lay down his pride, and congratulate his brother? Sometimes it's hard to do that. What if he took the moment just to humble himself and lay himself down and said, man, I obviously did it wrong. You did it right. Show me what you did right. How did you get that set? What did you do? Tell me what I did wrong. Could you show me? What if he humbled himself and actually learned from his brother? What might it have looked like for Cain to move in the other direction and to love his brother? What might it look like for us to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters here? Every day we have opportunities. Where in your life right now do you have an opportunity to lay your life down? To let go of that false self Instead of being threatened and resentful, to just let it go and to lay it down and to love somebody else. You see, it's always tangible action. What might it look like for you to lay your life down for the brother or the sister in your life? Notice that uh, the way of Jesus ends in life. So the way of Cain lived in death or ended in death in the land of Nod. The way of Jesus always ends in life. It feels like a death. It feels like a death to deny yourself and to lay yourself down to say, my priority is not me, not today. My priority is you. That feels like a death. It always ends in life. Congratulating somebody who got the promotion feels like a death. It always ends in life. Forgiving that person and not holding on to the resentment feels like a death. It always ends in life. Uh, Somebody this morning said, uh, Brent, as you were talking, I I had this thought in my mind. He said, you're either in Nod or you're in God. (laughs) Yeah, Daniel, thank you. That was Daniel who gave me that one. You're either in Nod or you're in God. You're either in death or you're in life. You're either loving your brothers. You're either moving down the path of death to self that leads to life, or you're holding on to your identity. You're feeling resentful and you're moving towards alienation and isolation. John says, which direction are you going to go down? I'm telling you, John says, that the person who truly knows God is going to move down the way of Jesus. Somebody asks, well, how do I get the power to do that? I know it, it is so hard to just lay your life down and to love somebody else. How do you get the power to do that in your own life? Well, I believe that that what John says here is that it all begins with a new identity. The power comes from a new identity. If you look back in the story of Cain, Cain always constructed his identity on his achievements. Who am I? I'm the better son. I'm the successful one. He built his identity on what he could do. After he killed his brother, he got a new identity. Instead of being Cain the great, Cain the success, he became Cain the murderer where his past defined him, and this is who he was. But in the story, at the very end, God comes to Cain and gives him a new redeemed identity. 
God comes to him, and he says, Cain, the blood of your brother cries out, condemning you. But he says, I'm going to protect you. And so God comes to Cain, and, and he gives Cain a mark. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should, should attack him. This is a symbol that, that God is putting on Cain his mark of protection. Cain, it doesn't matter who you were. What you are now is, is the object of my protection. Cain, you're the object of my love, and I'm proving it with a mark that I'm putting on you. And the thing is, all of us who are Christians have this mark on us. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of his redemption, we are marked. We have a new identity. We have a new redeemed identity. It doesn't matter what you've done, either negatively or positively. If you're a Christian, you've got a mark. You have a new identity. It's not based upon what you did. It's based upon what Jesus Christ did for you. His death and resurrection show us that now, as we believe in him, we are beloved sons and daughters. Oh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. This is your new identity. You are loved. You don't have to worry about yourself. You are protected. Your, yourself is, is anchored in Jesus Christ. You have a new identity that can never be taken away from you. And out of this, this central core of a new identity, we learn to love others. And so the question John asks us is, is are you doing this? What direction are you going in? You know, you look at Anne Rice, and I just think about, you know, here, she's moving in a direction. Give me Jesus. I want nothing to do with his church. I want out, she says. She is moving down a path, and, and I dare say there's probably some of you here this morning that are moving down that path. I don't know what people did to hurt Anne Rice. I don't know where she was threatened to get to where she was, but I'm sure that there are many of you this morning that are like, man, I'm out. I've been too hurt. I just can't do it. I want to encourage you this morning to give it another try. In Jesus, you have a new identity, an identity of love. And you don't have to be afraid to lay your life down. You don't have to be threatened by other people anymore. So what might it look like for you to do that? You know, you, you, maybe it means forgiveness of somebody that you've been resentful towards. Maybe it means congratulating somebody that got the promotion that you wanted. Maybe it means when you see your ex-wife's picture on Facebook, you're not angry anymore. But you pray for her. Maybe it means joining a small group. Shameless plug. You know, in your seat this morning, there's a list of small groups. A, a, a step into, this, into a small group is a step towards community. It is walking into the path of love and into the path of my life for yours and into the path of life. It may feel like a death, especially if you're an introvert like me. I'm telling you, it is the path of life. John says to move towards God is to move towards others. To move towards this God, this community forming God, is to reject resentment and isolation and to move towards community. You've got a new identity. You can do that. So let's do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this passage, which gives us uh, two different ways, the opposite of love and the essence of love. 
uh, the way of exclusion and resentment, a way that leads in isolation and a way of self-giving, a way of openness to others, a way of courage, a way of a death that actually leads to life. Lord, I pray that you'd give us the power to do this. I pray that we, as a community here, would be marked by your love. I pray that as we grow in our relationship with you, that you would make it easier and easier for us to lay our lives down for others. God, I pray that we would be a sacrifice. God, that you'd give us the strength to just let go of that false identity, the fear that that someone might threaten us, and I pray that you'd open us to love and open us to joy and open us to life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.